All right. Well, you know, for the last uh, few months, uh, I've been meeting with uh, Ben Weisberger, uh, and today Ben is going to share a brief derash on our Torah portion. Okay, so this week's portion is called Nazo, and it goes over Numbers verse 4, no, Numbers chapter 4, verse 21 to chapter 7, verse 89, and it covers a few things. In the first part of the book of Numbers, the Israelites are preparing to depart from Mount Sinai and travel to Canaan, which is the land that God promised them. He instructed them to be organized and spiritually prepared for the journey. Now, being organized and spiritually prepared is something very important in order to live a good life. In fact, arguably, uh, keeping your spirituality is probably one of the most important things you can do all throughout your life. Because when life hits you with obstacles, you need to have the mentality to not let those obstacles overcome you, uh, discourage you. The next really important thing in this portion, primarily focusing on Numbers chapter 6, verse 23 to 27, is the word blessed. First off, if you read it carefully, you'll notice that, hey, this is the Aaronic benediction, something that we say over the children every Saturday. In fact, we'll be saying it shortly after this as well. Um, it has three sets of blessings. Each have two statements with the second statement explaining the first. But what exactly does the word bless mean in this case? Well, the word bless, when talking about God blessing people, means to show favor or promote a healthy lifestyle. Just before the Israelites departed Mount Sinai, Aaron prayed this prayer over them, saying that God would be with them and that he would bless them, show them favor, and promote a healthy way of life in the wilderness. And while we hear this prayer every Saturday, I'm going to read it again just so you can fully understand it. Um, pay attention to the two statements in each line. <clears throat> Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and grant you peace. Um, so you shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and I then will bless them. As I said before, in each uh, line, the second statement explains the first. The emphasis of the first statement is on protection. The second is compassion, and the third is peace. At the end of the passage, we read that God's name would be invoked on them or placed on them. This means that it is God who owns the people, and it is he who also blesses them. So in other words, when the Israelites left Mount Sinai, they knew that God was with them, and that, the, and that he would show them compassion, peace, and protection. The only challenge was to be obedient. God loved the people, but they could only experience his blessing if they lived in obedience. Now, the word journey <coughs> is much more than just a long travel in this case. Uh, the definition of the word journey is an act of traveling from one place to another. Seems self-explanatory, right? Well, actually, if you really think about it, life itself is a journey, with the starting point being, well, wherever you were born, and the ending point being heaven. And knowing that God is with you throughout your entire life is really something. Even at your lowest point of life, he's still with you. I can easily say that at my lowest point of life, some years ago, 
uh, I would not have given this a single thought. But now I know that he is going to always be there. As Yeshua promised to the disciples in Matthew, I will be with you till the end of the age. Now, I get that seeing is believing, but sometimes the realest things in this world are the things we can't see. Shabbat Shalom. Good job, Ben, on that uh, Darash. And uh, isn't it great to see our young people who come through our program continue and, you know, and participate and uh, in all different kinds of ways. That, uh, that is a real blessing indeed for, uh, for all of us. So, believe it or not, we're still somewhere in Genesis, right? So, l- last night, I have to confess, I watched something on television, and I, uh, I recommend this to, uh, to everybody. What is it? Was it, a, was it something about the, you know, uh, ancient ruins of something or other? Was it... Uh, something related uh, uh, to uh, uh, our uh, deeper understanding of the scriptures. What, what could it be? Well, what it was, was a program called, If You're Not in the Obit, Eat Breakfast. Okay, you're saying, what on earth are you talking about? What is that, right? So it was a documentary, an hour and a half long documentary, hosted by Carl Reiner and his nephew, who did this uh, study of, the, uh, of people who live past 90 years old and, and how uh, people can have a wonderful quality of life. So they interviewed people that some of you probably know of, right, um, like uh, Mel Brooks, uh, like uh, Betty White, uh, Dick Van Dyke, other people, uh, famous people, and other people who uh, are not famous but are living a wonderful quality of life past 90 years old. Of course, what was my personal favorite? My personal favorite was the lady who was uh, at age 67 really dying on the inside out because she had four children, uh, two of whom were murdered uh, at the hands of drug dealers and, you know, in a terrible way. Uh, and she was just, just depressed and beside herself. She was 67 and really just felt like, you know, her life was over, right? But she had two other children, uh, one of whom was a daughter who said to her, Mom, uh, I want you to exercise with me. Uh, and we're going to uh, we're going to do a little run, right? And so at 67, this lady uh, did a little 5K race when she was 67. That was 33 years ago. Okay, so now she's 100 years old, and still she did this thing called 100 meters at 100. You know, ran 100 meters at 100 years old, and uh, uh, it was great. And she was. She was talking about just how her, her uh, whole outlook on life changed, <laughs> how her whole outlook, outlook on life changed after she did this run when she was 67 years old, because it just made her feel 
don't know, she accomplished something and it was, and it was good and she felt good and so on. But the point of it is, is that people were, are writing, they're, they're being creative, doing all kinds of things past 90 years old. And I found it really very inspiring, you know? I, I, uh, I thought to myself, okay, 90. So half of 90 is 45, right? So let's say you're 45, all right? And you spent like 18 of those years growing up, right? So that means 18, 28, 38, that's about 27 years, 28 years, something like that, of adulthood. That means you're only like, you got more than a half to go. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? <laughs> right? That should be encouraging. Uh, that there's, there's so much more of life to live, you know? And what's also interesting is when I was a kid, I just mentioned like a couple of these people right? Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner. When I was a kid, they were old. <laughs> you know, they, they were old. When I, you know, and, and now here, they're still here and still doing things and being pro productive. And so uh, it was really very inspiring. Uh, and I would encourage, you know, I would encourage you to, uh, to check it out. If you're not in the obit, eat breakfast, Okay. Uh, so why do I bring that up? Uh, just because I'm thinking, okay, that's a good thing? Uh, or is there something else? Well, today, uh, we are in the 25th chapter of Genesis. Okay. And we come to the end of Abraham's life. And my real intention, uh, this always happens, my real intention was to talk about Jacob and Esau, actually. Uh, you know, the birth of Jacob and Esau, two nations are in your womb, and all, and all of that, and that's, that's great and good, uh, and actually halfway prepared already. But I, as I was reading the chapter earlier in the week, I thought, as I'm reading, I'm thinking, well, here it talks about Abraham, a little eulogy about Abraham. And I thought, wow, how encouraging uh, would this be? And, and, of course, Abraham is such a... Um, uh, obviously, a major figure, that's an understatement, I don't even know what the, uh, a, a super eminent figure uh, in the Bible, uh, that here he dies, we need to pause and say something uh, about, his, uh, about his life. So in uh, the middle of chapter 25, what chapter 25 is sort of, it's like a transitional, uh, a transitional chapter. This is where Abraham is married to Keturah, and they have children. And, and by the way, if you've been coming on Monday nights to the class on the names of God, Dr. Meyer mentioned something about the Midianites and how they already had like this knowledge of God. What was it with the Midianites? How is it that this, uh, this pagan group uh, seemed to have this knowledge of God? Well, isn't it interesting? Midian is a child of Abraham. So rather interesting there. But anyway, we read here about uh, other offspring of, uh, of, uh, of Abraham. Uh, and then we read uh, about Abraham's death. And then we read about Ishmael's descendants. And then uh, Isaac's uh, uh, descendants. Okay? All right. So now uh, we read here uh, in uh, verse... Eight. 
Okay, well, I should, verse 7, verse 7 of chapter 25 of Genesis. These are all the years of Abraham's life that he lived. 175 years. Let's just stop there. Okay, so he lived a long time, but you know what's really interesting? Think about it. And some of you can tell me this off the top of your head. How old was Abraham when he left Haran? Anybody remember right there in Genesis 12? He was 75 years old. So that means that from the time God called him when he was 75 years old, he had 100 years. He lived another 100 years. And everything that we read about Abraham took place between ages 75 and 175. So that's kind of interesting that, uh, you know, it was 100 years that he was living in the land, 100 years uh, that uh, he did everything uh, that, that we read about. Uh, and so, uh, as it says, he breathed his last and died. We'll stop there. He breathed his last uh, and died. So you might say, why doesn't it just say he died? Why does it say he breathed his last and died? Well, you know, if you look up these words uh, in a uh, lexicon, it'll probably say something to the effect that they're, they're, they're synonyms. You know, they're, they're kind of synonyms, but not exactly synonyms, okay? So the, the word uh, for he breathed his last sometimes is used in a very negative way, like perished, like someone perished, you know? Uh, but when it's used of the patriarchs, the use of the patriarchs. It means would be like they succumbed. You know what I mean? Like they, uh, they, you know, eventually everybody passes away. And so they succumbed to old age and then they were dead. Okay, that's kind of what it is, uh, what it's saying. So it means that he breathed breathed his last uh, and then he died. And then it says a ripe old age, a ripe old age. You know, this just goes to show you that English translations oftentimes just have certain traditions that they use because it's a tradition. I don't know about you, when I think ripe, I'm thinking cantaloupes, okay? (laughs) Ripe, you know what I mean? Ripe old age, good, a good old age. That's what it says in Hebrew, okay? A good old age. All right, uh, and uh, and and so uh, you know, ripe, ripe. I mean, means he full. You know, I get, that gives you the, uh, the the sense of he lived his fullest, I suppose. But it means he lived a good, uh, uh, in a good old age, and then an old man satisfied. Okay, and and uh, if your Bible's like mine in italics, it says with life. It doesn't say that. He just says and satisfied. Okay. And he was gathered to his uh, gathered to his people. So that's uh, you know what a great statement to be able to make about somebody, you know, uh, that uh, he died at a good old age and satisfied. Wouldn't that be what uh, you know what all of us uh, uh, would like to uh, experience? And so you could say that, uh, you know, someone else is writing this about Abraham. And so you could call it like a eulogy. Abraham's not saying it about himself. He didn't say, and so I died at a good old age and I was satisfied. But it's, it's the observation of another person, right? That, that Abraham died at a good old age 
uh, and he was satisfied. So, of course, uh, we might uh, uh, want to ask ourselves, so what does this mean, and, and what does this mean uh, to, uh, to us, right? About uh, dying at a good old age and being satisfied. It's not an easy thing, because life is pretty rough, you know? I don't know anybody, and I will say, I don't know anybody that is just, Life is like on easy street. I don't know anybody, and I know a lot of people, but I don't know anybody that would say that. I don't know anybody that has never experienced struggle. I don't know anybody that doesn't regret something. I don't know anybody that could say from the bottom of their heart, if I had to live life all over again, I would live it exactly the same way. Really? Now, maybe you want to come up to me afterwards and say, Howard, uh, you know, that's me. But I have yet to, uh, I believe, I have yet to meet uh, that person, including myself. If we're really going to be really honest, you know, with, with ourselves, which we rarely are, right? You know, but uh, I think we would all say that. So being satisfied is not about easy, right? Abraham didn't live an easy life. In fact, Abraham actually lived somewhat of a difficult uh, a, a life. First of all, uh, when he was 75 years old, God told him to leave everything behind. I don't think that's an easy thing to do. We just take it for granted. Okay, Abraham left, right? But he had to leave his father, Terach. He had to leave his, his brothers, we read about. Perhaps his mother, I'm not sure. Uh, but uh, he did bring his wife along and his nephew. I'll bet that's something he regretted. But anyway, uh, if you know the story of Lot. But... Um, uh, the fact is, it was difficult. It was, he was also a torn. Think about his relationship with his uh, uh, children. He was torn. You know, never forget that the Bible says that Abraham loved Ishmael. Abraham loved Ishmael. It was not an easy thing, okay, for, uh, uh, for him to uh, wait for Isaac uh, and then, of course, Isaac is the child of promise, and he loved Isaac very much. He certainly did, but it could not have been easy at all, right? And then there's the time, you know, he went down to Egypt. Uh, that was not easy, you know, with uh, Sarah, and then with Abimelech, uh, the same thing. Uh, difficult times. He had to go and rescue Lot, right? Not, not an easy time. Not an easy life uh, for Abraham. Yet he was indeed uh, he was indeed satisfied. All right. Okay. So we might say so God blessed him. Right. He was blessed. Well, you know that's one of my favorite subjects. Right. Blessing. We had a mini course on what blessing is. We throw that word around all the time. You know. So uh, blessing we might say, is an infusion of life. That's what I would... An infusion of life. Life. Okay? Favor is another word. Uh, divine favor. But we, all, we always have to define these terms because in the world we live in, favor uh, might mean uh, my ship has come in. You know? Favor might mean uh, marrying royalty. Right? As we saw recently, or some of you did, perhaps, right? Uh, favor might mean retiring early. Favor might mean 
uh, that, uh, you, you know, I win the lottery. The favor uh, might mean that um, my, uh, my family stays intact and everybody's okay throughout their lives. It could mean a million different things uh, to, in, in, many different, in many different ways. So uh, we have to ask ourselves, and what does it even mean, right? So we could say that blessing is the infusion of life into in, a person given their own particular uh, uh, circumstances, right? So we want to make sure that we understand that it's not right to compare one person's blessing from God with another person's blessing from God. We're all unique. We're, we're all unique human beings. And bless, as Ben said, blessing from God, right, means living well given certain parameters, right? Well can be different things in different stages of life. Well can, can mean a variety of things, but it's not based on our, on our circumstances, right? So we would say that the infusion of life, that, that blessing really is, is a relationship with God. That's like sort of, you can reduce it to relationship with God. In fact, there are many who would say that the meaning of, the, of blessing in the context of the Bible, and where else does it start? I don't know. But the context of blessing in the Bible is almost like a euphemism for, having, for knowing God. That being blessed by God is, is, uh, is knowing God. In Abraham's day, that manifested itself, you know, in, uh, his, in, in the promise that God had given him. Very important to know that when you read in the Bible, well, blessings seem to be an abundance of, like, he had a lot of cattle, uh, you know, and he was wealthy, and he had a lot of children. So that must mean that forever, in every situation in anybody's life, blessing must mean uh, lots of children, uh, uh, lots of cattle, I, I don't know, uh, or, uh, you know, things of this world. No, that very important note, that was part of the promise that God made to Abraham. So God fulfilled his word to Abraham. Here is a bulletin. Not everybody who lived in Abraham's day that was blessed by God was wealthy. Not everybody who was blessed by God in Abraham's day had a lot or, 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 or had lots of children. No, we read about Abraham because he's like the main character, right? Uh, and God made a, made a promise to him that he would have many children. Not so that he could sit in a rocking chair in his old age and say, oh, it's great to see the Kinderlach, you know, uh, or anything like that. No, because this was part of the promise of the redemption of the world. And so his children played this important role in the redemption uh, of the world. And this was part of the promise that God made to him. God makes promises uh, 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 to all of us, right? Uh, God makes a promise to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. That's a blessing. No matter whatever happens, no matter what ever happens, God will never leave us or forsake us, which means that there's significance. There's significance uh, in, in my life. There's significance even to the events that take place in my life, even if I don't understand them. That God is involved in my life is not simply a random bunch of stuff that I did to myself or people did to me or I did to others. That's a, that's a blessing, that there's meaning and significance, right? 
What else, do, what else does God uh, uh, promise us? He promises us that we have a living hope, right? We read that in the Brit Harashah scriptures, the New Covenant scriptures in 1 Peter chapter 1. You can look it up. We have a living hope. That means, like Ben said, right, that there's a hope for the future. When, when the children of Israel left Sinai, the goal wasn't to wander around for 40 years, you know? The goal wasn't, okay, we're going on a journey for 40 years. We're all going to die in the wilderness and uh, our children will make it to the promised land. There's certainly a message in that. But the, the point is, is that they, the, their hope was, the promise was to get to the promised land and that God would protect them and, give them, and show them compassion you know, and give them peace and, uh, and confidence and all of that. And he, he even like stamped his name on them. They belong to me. But... What did they do? They were like the prodigal, right? They, they basically didn't trust God. They basically did not trust God. They would not go into the land. And so they were not able to appropriate what was theirs. They were not able, to, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that they had to work for it, but they couldn't appropriate it. You know, there's a famous story, uh, and I can't remember uh, who it is. Get, uh, J. Paul Getty. It's about J. Paul Getty, I believe. That uh, there's a story about him that he was uh, desirous, you know, billion, billion, billionaire. He was desirous of um, of uh, finding a particular painting, a very valuable painting, and uh, you know, and he had people look all around the world for this painting, and he and and uh, he wanted it. You know, isn't it amazing? The guy had everything in the world. He wanted this painting, right? That tells you something, certainly. But uh, you know, uh, after he was dead. Uh, in that big, big, big giant house that, that he lived in, you know what they found? They found the painting. He already owned it. He already owned it. But he could not appropriate the joy of it, right? Because he didn't even realize that it was his. He didn't realize that, that he had it. And so we often live our lives the same way. The, you know, not, not, not being satisfied uh, and not appropriating what God has for us, because we're kind of just doing our own thing. And when we do our own thing, it's there, but we, we end up just doing whatever we want to do and then receiving the fruits of it until we finally say enough is enough and we return to God. And then the blessings begin to pour out of this sense of satisfaction and meaning in life and, uh, you know, uh, and, and purpose. You see, uh, and, and so in Abraham's life, uh, we could say that uh, he was uh, indeed blessed because of the promise uh, that God had made to him, uh, and God fulfilled uh, the promise uh, in his life, and God fulfills the promise in our life. We have a, a destiny, right? This, getting back to this living hope idea, right? So we have this destiny. We know, as Messiah followers, we have a, there is a particular blessing that we know that there's a trajectory to our life and that, and that you know, we are accepted in, the, in God and that we'll get to the promised land, so to speak, to the Allah Abba, to the world to come. Indeed. You know, we read in Ephesians, I believe in the first chapter, that we have the Ruach, the, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, right, uh, as a pledge of our inheritance. A pledge, like a down payment, 
Like the presence of the Ruach, the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives is like proof that I belong to God. His name is on me, like invoking God's name, right? And that I have a destiny. And that's where I'm headed. But the wonderful thing is, is that we can draw on the inheritance today, as I've said before, right? Uh, The living hope. We can experience a portion of that future uh, indeed now in our, in our lives. Okay? So in Abraham's life, we read a couple of statements about how he appropriated blessing in his life. Okay? It wasn't the cattle and it wasn't the children. Those are the, that's the fruit of blessing. Okay? But Abraham lived a certain way, and the way he lived is what generated this, his sense of purpose and belonging to God and being right with God, uh, which allowed him to uh, be able to appropriate the, 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 the promise. In Genesis chapter 18, we covered this like years ago already, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. So just one verse here. For I have chosen him, this speaks of Abraham, for I have chosen him in order that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice and righteousness, in order that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he had spoken about him, keeping the way of the Lord. That is how Abraham lived his life, keeping the way of the Lord. Now, you know what's interesting? If you think about that, and then you go to, we're going to have to move a little ahead of where we are right now. And you go to chapter 26, where uh, Isaac is going to uh, officially receive the covenant from, from God. God is speaking to Isaac, and it says in chapter 26, beginning in verse 4, And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give your descendants all the lands by, their, by your uh, descendants. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now that's an amazing verse. I'm sure for many of us for an obvious reason. That there were not yet any laws, statutes, and commandments. This is Abraham, not Moses. But yet that's what we read. So we see that Abraham lived his life in such a way that he was obedient to God. He followed God's way. Not checking off rules and regulations, but he lived his life in a certain way that was commensurate with the, the, uh, the way of the Lord, the path of God, the road of God, however term you want to use or whatever picture you get in your, your head. He lived according to God's way. That means there, you know, it's just like on the road, you know, you don't want to go off the road, right? Uh, and, and so there's boundaries on the road, but it doesn't mean that, you know, I, I, I need to make sure... Uh, I need to make sure that I stay in the right-hand lane all the time. I do have the leeway to pass, you know. Uh, I might go slower, or I might go a little faster, but just stay on the road, you know. And when you stay on the road, you see that you appropriate blessing from God that is not dependent on other people, not dependent on circumstances, not dependent on my employer, not dependent 
uh, on my children, not dependent on my spouse, see? Uh, and so this is how Abraham was able to live a life of uh, a satisfaction, a life of satisfaction. Now, there is a, um, there is a passage, uh, a, a psalm, in fact, Psalm 90. It's called the Psalm of Moses, kind of interesting, that gives us a little bit more insight about living a satisfied life. Okay. Okay. So basically, you know, the first half, this is a great psalm, you know, great psalm. The first half of it basically talks about how rough life is and how Moses feels like things have been so bad, it's like you're, you've been so angry at us, it's like you've abandoned us. He knows that that's not true, but that's how he feels. Psalms are often about how the person who writes them feels, okay? Uh, and then he says this. I, I guess I ought to read uh, here in verse 10 and 11. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years or more. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Sheesh, that's kind of depressing. Who understands the power of thine anger, of your anger, and your fury according to the fear that is due you? So in other words, what he's saying is, you know, you live, you live your life and, and then it's over. So then he says... So, or therefore, Lord, now, now he cries out to God. Now he, now he prays. The second half of the psalm is a prayer, okay? So, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That means, in plain old English, make every day count. That's what it means. It doesn't mean check off the days till I die, okay? It means make every day count. Every day is a new day. I mean, you've heard all this before. But it's true. Maybe that's why you've heard it before. Okay. Uh, uh, every day is a, uh, a new day. So it says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Every day there is an opportunity, an opportunity to draw closer to God, to gain wisdom, to, to read something from the scriptures, to pray. Uh, every day is an opportunity, even through the circumstances of the day to grow from it, to learn from it, okay? Then it says, Do return, O Lord, how long will it be, and be sorry for thy servants? That, what that really means is be compassionate. Lord, come and be compassionate, Lord. I seek your compassion. Show me compassion, okay? God desires to hear that. And then it says, O satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days satisfy us in the morning with your loving kindness. God's chesed, God's loyal love. God's loyal love. What he's saying is, Lord, you satisfy me. Lord, I'm crying out for satisfaction in my life. I pray, Lord, that it comes from you. So here's the secret. It comes from God and not from something that I get. It comes from God. That's why it is not based on your spouse, your children, your parents, your job, the weather, whatever. You know, it comes from God. And that stays the same because God never leaves us uh, or, uh, or forsakes us. And so what does that remind me of? It reminds me of Psalm 42. Anybody familiar with Psalm 42? 
Psalm 42, you know what, I, uh, in my Bible, I wrote the word depression <laughs> across the top of Psalm 42. Now we're all turning there, right? Okay? It's, it's, this, is the, this is the psalm where my tears have, you know, have made my couch wet all day and, and so on and so forth. But the very beginning of it, the very beginning of it says this. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. Okay? All right. So he's down. But you notice that he doesn't pray, Lord, fix the situation. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Okay? It's, it's okay to pray, Lord, fix the situation. Right? But I'm just pointing out, that's not what he prays. He doesn't say, Lord, I fix my children. Lord, fix me. <laughs> right? Uh, he doesn't uh, uh, pray, Lord, uh, give me a spouse. Or he's not praying, Lord, uh, give me meaning in my life. Or Lord, tell them to quit making fun of me because I trust in you. He says, Lord, I need more of you. That's what he prays. That's where satisfaction comes. That's where we get uplifted, right? I need more of you, see? And so satisfaction comes when we tell ourselves what is true about ourselves and about God and about uh, life, not just what we may think is true or what, what we're telling ourselves over and over and over and over and over, and over again, but we need to break through that and say, despite what I'm hearing in my head, Lord, give me more of you. See? And that is what the psalm writer writes here. See? This is what makes for a satisfied life. So now when we go back to Psalm 90 again, there's something else here. In the last two verses, well, I, I will just... In, in passing, verse 15 says, Make us glad according to the days thou hast afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. That's a great verse. That verse means, Lord, for all the years that you've been angry at me, for all the years that I've wasted, for all the years that, that uh, I've struggled, Lord, I pray you would give me that many years of satisfaction. That's what he's praying. Isn't that the audacity of him to pray that way? Isn't that something? You know, it, uh, it, that should encourage us. That should encourage us. Remember about that 90 years thing, right? Living beyond that. There's still a lot more years to go, you know? May God give us satisfaction as we seek him in these years. And by the way, do you know at the end of the day, what people remember, especially the people that know us, what people remember about us most is not what we did when we were 20 and 30 and 40 or maybe 50, <laughs> or maybe, I don't know. I'll stop somewhere there, okay? But it's what we do in, that, in, the, in the second half, you know? It's what we do in the second half. You know the, the famous story of the football game between the um, Houston Oilers and the Buffalo Bills playoff game. I watched it myself as it was happening, and the Buffalo Bills had a backup quarterback in, uh, and at the end of the first half, they were losing like 30 to 3. And me, like everybody else, was thinking, oh, when is this thing going to be over? Right? And what happened in the second half? The backup quarterback won the game for the Buffalo Bills. 
and the Houston Oilers moved away. Okay? Uh, and, but but you, people don't care that the score was 30-3 to at the end of the first half. Nobody cares about that. It's the final score. It's the final score. So there's time to seek God in his face in all of these ways. Okay? Then we read, Let thy work appear to thy servants, and thy majesty to their children. And let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Do confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Yes, make what I do significant, God. Whatever it is that I do, may it be uh, significant. And you know, I think for some of us, uh, it may be uh, what we do in terms of a job, or it may mean just being able to get up every day and have a satisfactory day, you know? It says in Colossians chapter 3, uh, in verse uh, 23, whatever you do, isn't that a great phrase? Whatever you do, do your work heartily. You know what that word is? From the soul. That's what it, that's what it is. From the soul. From, the, from your, as they would say in Yiddish, from your kishkes, you know? From your, the inside of you, you know? Do your, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than from men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Messiah whom you serve. Remember that. You know, there's a book called Your Work Matters to God. It's a great statement. It's true. Your work matters to God. Whatever you do, but not in terms of just a career, your work, whatever you do every day, whatever it may be, Wherever you're at in life, it matters to God, and there is significance in it. Okay, and so I, I therefore recognize this: that therefore our primary identity is not in our career, not in our family, and not in our past. Ugh, I don't have time. Ugh. Not in our past. All right, our primary identity is in God, and this never changes. It never changes you see and so abraham lived a full and satisfied life because of his relationship with god right he believed in the lord and god reckoned it unto him his righteousness his trust in god led him to live a certain way and by living a certain way the the specific promise that god made him came to pass in our lives that promise is god will never leave us he will never forsake us we have indeed a future we have a hope uh, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of god uh, and uh, and the list goes on you know and so may we be people like abraham you know, we all live, the, the trajectory of our life, by the way, is whatever God determines. Everybody lives their full life. You know that? Everybody lives, their, what does that mean? That means that from the point of view of God, everybody lives a full life. Not necessarily what I might call a full life. I might say, oh, this person's life was cut short. Well, that's only compared to other people's lives, okay? And so the trajectory of a person's life is the, is the days you have. And in the days you have, you can be satisfied. Like Ben said, you know, God said, I want to bless you out in that desert. But there is a responsibility to live and trust God. And when we choose not to do that, it doesn't mean God takes away the blessing. It means we, we're, we don't reach out. It means that we don't appropriate it. 
And so, may we walk with God. May we confess our sins. May we begin again from wherever we are. And may, we, may it be said of us that we lived a full, satisfying life. That's what Yeshua, the Messiah, indeed does for us when we place our faith and our trust in Him. We have the blessing. That's the blessing, the favor, the infusion of life. May we live in it and appropriate its fruit and blessing. Let's pray. Lord uh, God, we thank you, God, for the fruit of the blessing of life in Messiah. Lord uh, God, we thank you, God, when we think about that fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control and things like that. Lord, that means rich and full relationships and, and, uh, and a satisfying uh, way of life. Lord, may that indeed be our testimony, despite where we might find ourselves. And so, Lord, we thank you for the life of Abraham. And we thank you, Lord, that we look, when we look at his life, we see a full, satisfying life. God, may it indeed be said of us. We pray in Messiah's name.